Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Unreal Talk Show, the podcast where we talk about the movies and TV shows that we love and hate. I am your host Aaron Scott Walker and we have an awesome show lined up for you today. We're going to get caught up on movie news in my official current event segment called In Case You Missed It. Next, we are going to talk about one of my favorite forgotten formats, 3D movies. It came, it went, and it gave us headaches. We're going to take a deep dive into this dead gimmick in Tech Talk. Afterwards, since it is our third episode, I thought it would be the best time to break out my favorite top five trilogies of all times in my favy faves list before we part with our watch this on that suggestion segment and our advice of the day but first let's go ahead and kick today's episode off with story time <laughs> uh so over the last couple of days uh my kid has been very very vocal about wanting to be a youtuber he has several channels that he is just absolutely obsessed with. Uh, one of them, like Unspeakable Gaming, is one of them. And it's getting to the point where he is pretending to have his own YouTube channel. Like when he plays games on Xbox or on my computer, like Human Fall Flat and Minecraft. Um, since Lisa and I uh, have been lucky enough to keep our jobs during the pandemic, uh, we were able to get him Minecraft on my PC and he has already started like acting as if he was on his own youtube channel i've been recording his games and hopefully i'm going to be able to get those compiled and edited down and put on his own youtube channel here pretty soon he wants his youtube name to be spidey kid and he wants me to be bat boy and he wants my wife lisa to be zombie queen now i don't know why lisa gets to be royalty and i don't even get the option to be a man but he seems to really like the names, so I'm not going to fight with him much on it. Uh, I believe he would be really good at creating content, though. We were playing Human Fall Flat the other day, and just out of nowhere, Adric yells, If you had a YouTube channel right now, I would say, Comment if you think that this box is super awesome. <laughs> I need to get this kid a camera. Uh, stay tuned, because you might be seeing that Spidey Kid... Bat Boy Zombie Queen channel here pretty soon. Now, with the story time all being wrapped up for you, let's go ahead and move over to our current events segment in case you missed it. So, right now, the biggest news in movies right now, or at least in cinema or film in general, is this beef going on between AMC Theaters and Universal Pictures. Now, to kind of give you like a Reader's Digest version of what's going on, right before the pandemic and the stay-at-home orders had all been issued, uh, Trolls 2 World Tour was going to be released, and I believe it was released in theaters for just a short amount of time, but shortly thereafter, all the theaters had to be closed uh, because of a state of emergency. So what Universal did is they decided to release the film on streaming services. So basically, if you wanted to, I, I want to say it was $20. It could have been more. 
but you get basically for twenty dollars you get the film for like I think you have forty eight hours to watch it from the first time that you play it. Pretty standard rental terms, and so. AMC's initial response to that was that they understood that they would have to make that decision based on the current times. But then the CEO of Universal comes out and makes a statement saying that because of the success of Trolls, whenever it was uh, released on streaming platforms, because uh, they made like $100 million just in rental fees. And that's obviously a huge chunk of change that the majority of it is going to Universal Studios. So they immediately said, well, in the future, we're going to look into having movies released both in theaters and on streaming platforms. Now, on the surface, that sounds like a really good idea, but basically what you're doing is you're kind of sidestepping a tradition in the movie business where the theaters get you know, a certain window of time to have the video or the movie in their theaters before it's released on streaming platforms so that way they can get people into their theaters and for those who don't know the the bulk of the money that theaters make is actually from the um concessions it's not really from the ticket sales they don't really make a whole lot of money off of the movies they make all of their money from the concession stand so Basically, what they're doing is they're incentivizing people to not go to the movies anymore. And that could, I mean, in turn be the death of the movie industry. Um, AMC already, right before all of this happening, uh, was already kind of in some sort of financial straits or dire straits. So, basically, AMC just took that as a big middle finger to them. And so, they turn around and said, well, going forward, we're not going to be having any Universal Picture films in any of our theaters across the United States or across Europe, any other locations around the world. So shortly after that, uh, Regal and uh, I believe, hold on, I'm bringing it up right now. Um, so Regal actually joined AMC on their kind of petition to boycott Universal Films. But let's go ahead and dive, uh, just get a little bit more context into where the initial beef came from. Now, this comes from Alexander, April 28th, 2020. Uh, AMC theaters will no longer accept, will no longer play Universal Films effective immediately after, quote, unacceptable comments were made by NBC Universal CEO Jeff Schell on its decision to bypass a traditional theater release for Trolls World Tour and make it a digital exclusive, according to The Hollywood Reporter. In a new interview with the World, with the Wall Street Journal, Jeff Shell noted that Trolls World Tour succeeded their expectations, pulling in nearly a hundred million in revenue through digital sales alone, and more than five million copies sold. As a result, Shell noted that as soon as theaters reopen, we expect to release movies on both formats, meaning some movies will continue with theatrical releases while others will go directly to digital retailers or possibly land on NBC Universal's new streaming service, Peacock. The move led to a lengthy statement from AMC Theaters Chair CEO Adam Aaron. I, I, I honestly think it's Aaron. I'm not saying that because my name is Aaron. I'm, it's A-R-O-N, and I'm pretty sure that's the only time that you say A-R-O-N, because my name is not A-A-R-O-N. Uh, let's see. Uh, AMC Theater uh, Chair CEO Adams A-R-O-N, who claimed that Shell's comments were, quote, unacceptable. 
He goes on to say, it is disappointing to us, but Jeff's comments as to Universal's unilateral actions and intentions have left us no choice. Therefore, effective immediately, AMC will no longer play any Universal movies in any of our theaters in the United States, Europe, or in the Middle East. AMC Theaters is the largest cinema chain in the U.S., and losing access to its theaters is a devastating blow for Universal's biggest upcoming films, including F9, which is the ninth installment of the Fast and Furious franchise, which was actually delayed uh, until April 2021. I believe we talked about that in current events on our first episode. Uh, when Universal expected to give its proper theatrical release. F9 is a movie that is likely to generate close to $1 billion at the global box office, if not more. What seems unlikely that Universal will give up its share of that the share of that revenue, uh, but Aaron reiterated in its statement, this is not some hollow or ill-considered threat. So basically right now, to boil that down again the amc ceo has taken it upon himself to make sure that there is a precedent that is continued which is that the theaters be able to exist in this world because as we've already seen like we don't experience the theater the same way as we do now and again amc has already kind of had some financial issues and that's because people are already not going to the theater that often i don't think and i i think that that's already kind of a big concern for amc and to know that universal is going to exacerbate that problem they have to make a stand and they have to set some sort of precedent so again going back to what i was saying before um regal which um if you're in uh, the Midwest, which is where we are, uh, Regal, like Warren Theaters, uh, they joined AMC Theaters in refusing uh, Universal Films over a Trolls World Tour streaming success. This comes from Truett USA Today on the same date as the previous article. Uh, as if Hollywood wasn't already in chaos enough because of the coronavirus, movie theaters are now going to war with Universal Pictures. Following a Wall Street Journal article where NBC U NBC Universal CEO Jeff Shell landed a streaming success of Trolls World Tours in the wake of theaters closing and said that the, they would release some future projects on multiple formats. Both AMC Theaters and Regal Cinemas, the two largest chains in North America, have announced that they won't show the studio's movies when theaters reopen. In a press release sent out Wednesday, Regal's owner, Cineworld, argued that it doesn't make economic sense for the company to show movies that fail to respect the theatrical windows by breaking that understanding at the height of the COVID-19 crisis when the theaters were closed thousands of employees are at home and no clear date for reopening Cineworld said Universal's move to streaming with its titles is inappropriate and has nothing to do with the good faith business practice partnership and transparency so I guess we're going to just have to see how this plays out because clearly the two biggest theaters in the united states specifically or in north america specifically have already said like this is not something that we are willing to facilitate so knowing that it's going to be pretty interesting to see how this plays out and to see if universal sticks with it or if they move on from that and just decide to let bygones be bygones and just pretend that it never happened which either way could happen i'm not 100 percent certain uh like I said before, with AMC already having financial troubles, I think that's more of a sign that that part of the 
I guess, American tradition, uh, the American way of life is uh, part of that. That part of our culture is changing. So I, I'm not 100% certain if theaters will still be the same, let's say, in the next year and a half. Um, or if AMC theaters will even be around in a year and a half. I guess only time will tell. Now that we have completed that, I think that should wrap that up for our current event segment. In case you missed it. Moving right along, we are going to go into our next segment. Tech talk. Beep boop. Beep boop boop. I, I don't have transition music set up for everything just yet. So give me time. But as for now, beep boop, beep boop boop, tech talk. <laughs> uh, today's tech talk is all about seeing the world through different eyes. 3D films. And for some reason, they always appealed to me. Regardless of how poor the tech was in the early 90s or how overused and tacky the tech would eventually become, I could never stop my money from leaving my hand and going right into the box office just to see just an awful movie and get nauseous from all the motion blur. I even purchased a 3D TV about six, seven years ago at the peak of 3D Blu-ray popularity, and I loved it. And I always told everyone just to give it a chance. When I was younger, I think that I just assumed that 3D was like the logical next step for the movie-going experience. I mean, how could that? How could I like not get the impression of that whenever you see movies like Back to the Future Part Two, where we see Marty go into the year 2015 and get swallowed up by a 3D shark promoting Jaws 3D? And as time went on, it looked like I might have been right. The technology actually got a lot better. It went from blue and red shades out of a comic book to battery-operated glasses for a 75-inch 3D Samsung TV. Hell, it seemed that every movie between 2010 to 2015 had some sort of 3D tag associated with it. But, I mean, a lot like CDs, the 3D format was actually been around for quite some time. The earliest confirmed 3D film to have shown in an out-of-the-house audience was The Power of Love, which premiered at the Ambassador Hotel Theater in Los Angeles on tw uh, September 27, 1922. Um, the Power of Love was actually a silent drama film, and the 3D version of this is apparently presumed lost. Uh, later, uh, 3D actually somewhat saved Hollywood during a time where box offices were seeing pretty dramatic drops. This happened during what most 3D enthusiasts, yes, that is a thing, say is like the golden age of 3D film, uh, which started between like late 1952 with the release of the first stereoscopic feature, B1 Devil. The film was critically panned, but was highly successful because of the novelty of 3D. Uh, this craze was short-lived though, uh, around the summer of 1953, uh, 3D films took a pretty deep dip over several practical reasons. Uh, two prints had to be projected simultaneously. The prints had to remain exactly alike after repair or synchronization would be completely lost. It sometimes required two projectionists to keep sync working properly. 
When other prints or shutters became out of sync, even for a single frame, the picture became virtually unwatchable and accounted for headaches and eye strain. The necessary silver projection screen was very directional, and it caused sign line seatings to be unusable with both 3D and regular films due to the angular darkening of those screens. There were a few cartoons made in 3D, had a cardboard cutout effect where 3D couldn't be processed in two-dimensional flat objects. And finally, a mandatory intermission was needed to properly prepare the theater's projectors for the showing of the second half of the film. The critics of 3D films and problems they create sort of stained the format for over two decades. No studio really pushed for new or innovative ways to create a better experience, so the technology really didn't progress much. That is, until about the mid-1980s, the name we all now know, IMAX, began producing 3D nonfiction films like We Are Born of Stars, uh, which it, 3D traces the development of life from the formation of atomic nuclei and stars to the molecular structure of water and DNA, uh, zooming the audience through the 5 billion year evolution of the solar system, which is actually pretty cool. Unfortunately, I could not find it anywhere to watch that it legally at least, because I'm always down for a pretty cool space-related film. Anyway, around the same time, Disney also started to use 3D to impress their audiences for their attractions. Companies were the primary pioneers for the use of 3D up until about 2003, when James Cameron's Ghost of the Abyss and Spy Kids 3D game over. If you were a kid in 2003 and were aware of what movies were coming out, you wanted to see Spy Kids 3D. And that was really my first exposure to 3D being used in like a big production movie like that. Like I talked about before, most of the 3D being used was for theme parks and IMAX theaters. With Spy Kids 3D, we got a full featured film in 3D. It was a terrible movie, and I would imagine that the kids in that movie had a hard time, like, moving on, knowing what they helped create it. But that monstrosity for sure sparked my interest in the format, and before I knew it, every film seemed to have a 3D release. The movie, to probably get the most credit for doing 3D correctly, would probably be Avatar, also by James Cameron. He must really just have an eye for 3D because, as we all know, Avatar was a massive success. With a massive budget of around $240 million, Avatar was able to bring in $2.7 billion, yes, billion with a B, making it the highest grossing movie of all time until Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens dethroned Avatar as the box office king. So, why then? Why aren't 3D movies more widely accepted and successful? Why is the format all but completely dead to the world? Well, Phil Agnew from Brand New Watch breaks it down in four main reasons. Uh, first of which being, 3D just didn't live up to the expectations. 
after Brandwatch analyzed, uh, sorry, Brandwatch is the name of the organization that he works for. Uh, they analyzed about 1,000 tweets from audience members before and after they saw a 3D film. Before taking their seats, the majority of cinema goers were positive about 3D films. 600 of 1,000 authors analyzed expected a positive experience. Comments made after the movie was showed to the viewers, the expectations just were not met. Positive mentions decreased by 50%, whilst the amount of negative mentions were more than doubled. Consumers expecting to see like the future of cinema were instead paying more for a blurry viewing experience and, in many cases, headaches. Secondly, low-hanging fruit meant low innovation. 3D movies drove 32% more tweets than standard 2D films. The 3D aspect drove an increase in conversation and therefore awareness. It's therefore no surprise movie producers quickly jumped on the bandwagon, doing all they could to convert their movies to 3D format. The Legend of Hercules and G.I. Joe Retaliation are two obvious examples of bad 2D movies that were converted into low-quality 3D movies. 3D successes like Gravity and Avatar became outnumbered by 3D re-releases and converted 2D films, and viewers realized it. The third reason outlined is that simply influence, influencers just weren't turned on. If the movie industry is littered with examples of not-so-great movies performing extraordinarily well, why would 3D films perform so much worse in comparison? There are many reasons, but one clear importance is non-adoption from influencers. For every 3D is the future article, there were three or more articles slating the format. Before 3D even reached its peak, hundreds of influencers were sharing their early unfavorable experiences with millions of potential customers. Finally, too many issues, too little enhancing of experience. The brutal truth is that most movie viewers can cite multiple problems with the 3D experience. We analyzed thousands of negative mentions to find which problems were mentioned most often. Interestingly, the negative reason alluded to most often wasn't the cost, it, the comfort, or the quality. It was simply that people didn't think the 3D was great. For 29% of people, 3D failed to enhance the film experience. So one thing is clear, 3D movies are dying fast, but that doesn't mean the movie industry can't learn from it. This research clearly shows that moviegoers will sacrifice price, comfort, and even quality for something they genuinely will enhance their experience. Now, looking at this long list of problems, for me, I think the biggest reason for 3 uh, for 3D format failing as much as it did was a massive influx of the 2D films that were later converted into low-grade 3D films. Movies like Coraline, Avatar, Gravity, Alice in Wonderland were all made with the intention of using 3D as a tool for the viewing experience for those who wanted to see the movie in 3D. Because of this, I really do think the viewing experience is enhanced. But as much as I love The Nightmare Before Christmas, having it on a 3D Blu-ray really didn't add anything for me. I would say the most useless movie I ever saw in 3D was Star Wars Episode One. It was re-released in theaters and for some reason 
me and the Unreal Talk Show movie producer and longtime friend Christian Bedingfield went to see it in theaters, and I honestly would say that I would rather have had better value of literally burning my money. Not even 3D could make Jar Jar Binks more tolerable. And on the other end of the spectrum, I personally don't think that the story of Avatar or the film in general was really worth all the hype. Uh, I will save my thoughts on that particular comment for a future unpopular opinion segment, but even with all the problems with that movie, I loved the use of 3D in that movie. Everything in the environment was involved in the 3D experience, which for me was different. Most of the time you see a 3D film and it's like it's all flat until someone throws something or vomit is being launched in your face to make you flinch back in disgust. And that annoys the shit out of me. It's predictable and because it's predictable, it takes away from the movie. I am the one being forced to focus on what's coming next rather than just experiencing the movie. But now that virtual reality is already not only accessible, but equipment is becoming more and more affordable, you can kiss 3D goodbye for good. I honestly don't think we'll be seeing any more movies made by that beloved format again. Rest in peace 3D. You will be loved by few and missed by none. Now that we have finally submerged from our deep dive into the digital world of 3D technology, we are going to move on to my baby fave trilogies. But first, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll get back to the show. How's it going, everyone? Sorry to take away from the program, but I just need to tell you about something that is very important to me. That is, of course, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is a global leader in the fight against cancer. The LLS, the LLS mission, Cure Leukemia, Lymphoma, Hodgkin's Disease, and Melanoma, and improve the quality of life of patients and their families. LLS funds life-saving blood cancer research around the world, provides free information and services, and is the voice for all blood cancer patients seeking access to quality, affordable, coordinated care. LLS is not an official sponsor of Unreal Talk Show or Oops All Topics. However, they are very important to me, and I want to make sure that they get some awareness because patients like myself have been saved by this amazing organization, and it is my belief that if you ever are feeling generous, you should make a donation to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society by going to their website, donate.lls.org slash lls slash donate. Now, back to me. Take it away, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. Welcome back, everyone. I am your host, Aaron Walker, and if you are still with us, that means that we are about to move on to my next segment, Aaron's Favy Faves. And since it is our third episode, we are talking about my top five trilogies of all time. So let's dive straight into it. Number five for me. Now, remember, when you're listening to this, I'm not saying that these are the greatest trilogies of all time. I'm saying these are my favorite trilogies of all time. So I don't want to hear anybody say, Aaron, how could you miss this trilogy? 
This trilogy over here is critically acclaimed, Aaron. How could you do this to us? We at the Unreal Talk Show listeners need you to recognize these. It's not that I don't recognize them. It's that these are my personal favorites. And if you want to tell me your personal favorites, you can do that by sending me an email at unrealtalkshow at gmail.com or you can follow our Twitter page at unrealt on Twitter. Or you can also follow for all Oops All Topics Network content following the Jedger, that is Jason Edgar, and he maintains all of our Oops All Topic content. Now, moving on. Number five, Blade. I love the Blade trilogy. And for me, it doesn't get enough recognition, if I'm being completely honest with you. Now, Blade 1 comes out around the same time as Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire comes in. And so if you remember me talking about in, I believe it was our first episode, it could have been our second Spider-Man came out at around a time that comic book films in general really weren't doing that well, but Marvel films specifically could not seem to find their stride. So they hit it big with Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, and they also hit it big with Blade with Wesley Snipes, somewhat of a C-list, maybe even a D-list character in the Marvel world. So... I guess because it wasn't that well known, people could go watch this movie and not feel like they're pressured to have to know about the backstory or anything like that because it explains the backstory pretty well within the first five minutes. Uh, for those who have not seen Blade, uh, Blade is a vampire hybrid. Um, his mom was human and while she was pregnant with him, she got bitten by a vampire named Deacon Frost, who is the main villain of the first movie. And that transformed him into a vampire. His mom died as a consequence of it. And so because he's a hybrid, he has all of the strengths of vampires, you know, super speed, strength, and none of their weaknesses. So he isn't hurt by garlic sunlight silver nothing like that the only weakness that he does have is the bloodthirst so <clears throat> excuse me so in the first movie we get to see wesley snipes kick fucking ass and i love wesley snipes because even as a kid i knew that he was a martial arts expert and i loved him in demolition man and seeing him do all of that on screen was just really really cool and I thought that the premise of the movie was really, really good. Um, Deacon Frost ended up being a really good villain in that movie. And his overall goal was to become the blood god. And he could overthrow the vampire overlords and become the apex vampire, I guess. Um, but it had really good CGI, like really good use of CGI. And if you go back and rewatch it, some segments hold up well, others, eh, not so much. But the movie overall was really, really good. And then the second one, in my opinion, is actually more rewatchable than the first one. I don't know why, but I really, really like the second one. Uh, in the second one, the main villain is Jared Novak, and he 
is also like a experimental vampire like he's a vampire out of like tragedy and science and he is just a new breed of vampire blake comes in obviously kicks his ass but he has to team up with other like other vampires to bring him down because he also feeds on vampires and that's generally not something that is done amongst like you know traditional let's say like origin a vampires they don't feed off of each other they only feed off of humans but this vampire jared novak he does feed off of vampires so obviously there is a threat to both the humans and the vampires and blade has at least a interest in taking him out to protect the humans because that's pretty much all he does is protect humans from vampires that they don't know actually exist really really great fighting scenes i'm pretty sure the the guy who played jared novak also had um martial arts experience he i i want to say he i'm gonna have to i'm gonna end up putting this in my arizona missions but for the next episode but i'm pretty certain that he played darth maul also in star wars i could be wrong on that i'm gonna have to check it if i am wrong don't kill me but i'm I'm still pretty sure that he had some fighting experience so their final like battle between each other was just really epic and then in the third movie you get ryan reynolds and this was before deadpool and he was still kind of like an up-and-coming actor and his additions to the movie weren't phenomenal the third movie is kind of the 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 black sheep out of all of them. It's still watchable. It's still a good part of the series. Uh, in this movie, they bring back Dracula. Um, they think that he is the source to... Like, his DNA is the key to turning all vampires into daywalkers. That's what they call Blade. They call him a, a daywalker because he can go out in the sunlight. Um so when they bring dracula back it sort of backfires on them because he becomes pretty ashamed of like what the current vampires are like doing like they he feels that they have stooped low and are unbecoming of you know being a pure vampire um and with those movies for me like it's the action sequences i think they were all done extremely well and I just think Wesley Snipes really just flexes his badass muscle in all three of those films. And if I was on a desert island and they said, you know, you could pick five trilogies to watch for the rest of your life, Blade is going to be on that list. So let's move on to number four. Austin Powers. I love this trilogy. The first movie... See, Mike Myers was kind of always a staple in my house um especially with my dad uh you know we watched movies like wayne's world and we obviously knew him from snl but we also liked his like lesser known movies like so i married an axe murderer uh so mike myers was always like like already like really big in our home so austin powers was just it's just such a funny movie it's it's really just like a parody on spy movies and it's it's so ridiculous that it's funny and austin or not austin but uh, mike myers does the classic kind of physical comedy where he plays both dr evil and austin powers he later goes on to play other characters in the series uh 
But in the first movie, uh, I actually watched it recently. It was interesting because in the first movie, you go back and rewatch it, and it just holds up well for me. I don't know what it is. Like, every joke still lands, and everything that is set up in that movie is just so just so stupid one of my favorite lines in that movie is in the very beginning where so for those who hadn't seen the movie Austin Powers is basically a over masculine personification of and like like a parody over masculine over sexualized version of James Bond and in the first movie he has to face Dr. Evil Dr. Evil shoots himself into space through a big boy statue and freezes himself. So Dr. Evil or uh, so Austin Powers decides that he's going to freeze himself because for some reason he's the only person in the world that can stop Dr. Evil. Uh, So he cryogenically freezes himself in the 60s and wakes up in the 90s. And one of my favorite parts in that movie is whenever he is first introduced to the female protagonist in the movie, uh, Vanessa Kensington, uh, played by Elizabeth Hurley. And the first thing he says is, you know, my God, Vanessa's got a fabulous body. I bet she shags like a minx. I wondered if they'd be interested to know that because of the unfreezing process, I have no inner monologue. (laughs) movie was not only big with me and like my dad but it was also big with like friends at school so watching these movies brings back a lot of memories of like my friend dylan glenn uh my friend michael day you know we always quoted these movies all the time uh and i i don't know what it is about austin powers but austin powers is just so unbelievably funny i immediately collected the fungo pops and I I just think that they're another, you know, set of movies that goes maybe a little overlooked. Again, it, the movies are ridiculous. But if you take them for what they are, they're extremely enjoyable. Now, let's go ahead and move on to my third favorite trilogy of all time. Emilio! Mighty Ducks. The Mighty Ducks series is another movie series that just holds so much love and warmth in my heart. The movie, the first movie, really made me want to be a hockey player. And I I don't know why, and I can't emphasize that enough, but it really wanted me to be a hockey player. And then the second one was at a time when I could rollerblade. So I really wanted to rollerblade, but it also came out at a time where like street hockey, I really feel like recreational street hockey was becoming more and more popular. I remember my stepdad, uh, whenever I was a kid and D2, the mighty ducks that came out around that time, he was a part of, I, I don't know if it was like a pickup team or like a pickup squad, whatever you want to call it, that they, go out and every Saturday at five o'clock play uh, street hockey, but they played at the, uh, they played on this concrete slab in my, at my elementary school. 
And so every time I watch this movie, you, of course, you know, just just want to be a hockey player. You're a kid. You're imagining yourself on the ice with Charlie Conway and with Goldberg, Banksy, and Coach Bombay. And it's just, it makes you feel great. Now, I don't know if anybody remembers, but not too long ago, the guy who played Goldberg, I think his name is Sean Weiss. I could be wrong. I'm probably wrong on that. I will double check it. And if it is wrong, I will add it back into my errors and omissions for next uh, episode. But the guy, the guy who played Goldberg, he hit rock bottom. He was found like trespassing and like high on meth and he had methamphetamine on him and he just did not look good and i really really hope that he does well uh, and he gets better you know i i'm sure that circumstances beyond our knowledge have put him in his situation and i hope that you know things get better for him but the third movie is the movie that i think gets the least amount of recognition and again i think the number three in all trilogies i didn't really mean to rhyme it but i did anyway so live with it but the third movie in all trilogies i think end up being kind of the the weaker of all three of them and in this movie that's not wrong but I really believe that this movie had a really good, like, learnable moment where their new coach, Coach Orion, is having them all, you know, take a knee on the ice. And he basically just goes into this monologue where he talks about how what he's teaching them is not just about hockey. It's about not being too careful, but not being too careless at the same time when you make decisions in life. You can't be afraid to lose and not being afraid to lose is what gives you the confidence to go out and attack the game even when you don't have control of life or control of the puck. And even as a kid, whenever I heard that, I for some reason that just really stuck with me. And because of that, I think that that movie, it's not, the, it's not terrible. It is the worst of its predecessors, but it's not that bad of a movie. And for me, deserves... The number three spot on my top five at number two and i'm pretty sure it's going to shock everybody the christopher nolan dark knight trilogy i'm not going to harp on it for too long uh, just because i know that i talk about batman a lot but you're going to have to get used to it so uh (laughs) like i talked about in uh my previous episode um batman begins for me was really Batman finally being taken seriously. It was Christopher Nolan's approach to a realistic Batman. And whenever I saw the first trailer for it, I immediately fell in love with it. And I immediately wanted to go out and see it. Um, I saw it, I think, three times in theaters. And again, like I talked about in previous episodes, I really thought that it was a bold move to include Scarecrow and Ra's al Ghul into the villain mix early on because that again there there are so many villains that they could have went with that are more recognizable that would definitely would have pulled potentially more box office money so for them to go with those two villains was a really risky move and obviously it paid off uh the dark knight 
I, I think that the Dark Knight is a is is the bar to be set whenever it comes to any future Batman films, and I think that that has been held true. Whenever we see audiences' reactions to like Batfleck um, and Robert Pattinson becoming Batman and Jared Leto becoming Joker, it it just seems that. Though that particular movie has set a precedent for both characters that if these cannot be met to identical or higher standards, then we just don't want it at all. And Jared Leto, while I I guess I can appreciate his artistic approach to the Joker and Suicide Squad, um, it obviously fell flat. And Heath Ledger's Joker was just so overwhelming really like you watch it the first time and you're just kind of just shocked by how amazing of of a performance he put on i watched that movie six times in theaters every single time was just as great as the last and i think that heath ledger deserved to get the academy award for um best supporting actor and I think it was important for him to get it not because he had passed away but because superhero movies are not ever really considered worthy of oscar gold so to see that finally happen was really really cool and to know that it came from a performance that has yet to be matched in my personal opinion uh, i think was really cool to be able to see in my lifetime the dark knight rises was another batman film that i saw multiple times in theaters I saw it, I think, seven or eight, most of them um, at the Eaton Square in Tulsa because their matinees were like $4, and I didn't want to pay 15 bucks every time I wanted to go see it. Uh, so I honestly think that Tom Hardy and his Bane, first off, I love his portrayal of Bane. He's intelligent. He's calculating. He is just a force to be reckoned with, and... When you're watching this movie, you know, you don't know what he's going to do next because his emotion is is really hidden by that mask. But I think that Tom Hardy did a great job of performing with his eyes. And I think his performance as Bane in this movie was about, so far at least, is about as close as to James Earl Jones's performance um, as Darth Vader. Well, not James Earl Jones. You know what? I keep forgetting the guy. I'm going to look it up right now just so I don't embarrass myself. Who physically played Darth Vader? Boom. It's like the first result after I put in physically. Prowsey is what it says. Prowsey played the bodily form of Darth Vader in the first three Star Wars films. Uh, Dave Prowsey, yes. So, um, his performance, you know, he, we couldn't see his face at all. So, you know, everything was done, you know, just by James Earl Jones' voice and by Dave Prowsey's physical acting. So, Tom Hardy's performance, I think, was about as equivalent as we can get right now. I don't think there's ever going to be a performance, you know, equivalent to the first three Star Wars films with Darth Vader. So, that was number two. 
We are now at, drumroll please, Brrr, number one, back to the future. I am in love with Back to the Future. It is a trilogy that will forever, in my mind, be held as an untouchable trilogy. It, they're untouchable movies. They should never, can never, should never be rebooted. And if they ever do, I will lose faith in humanity. I had these movies, or I guess I should rephrase. My father had these movies on Laserdisc. And for those who don't know what Laserdiscs are, they're basically vinyl-sized CDs that had existed since the 50s, but they were mainly used for like government storage, um, like, like data storage. But they were eventually used to like put movies on and you put this big ass fucking disc into this player and halfway through the movie you'd have the it, it unless you had the player that had an eye at the top and bottom of the machine you had to eject the disc halfway through the movie and flip it over and then let it play the other half of the movie after that um that's that's how long I've owned this movie from from those days and and now that I have it on digital stream I'm really glad that I'm able to come back and revisit these movies as much as I want to I I've always loved how like the especially the first movie and you know the two movies afterwards are, are literally centered around like a ticking time clock um, you know they have to save the clock tower or they have to go to the clock tower by the end of the movie and perfectly time it to whenever they the tower gets struck by lightning and marty can go back to 1985 the ticking time clock of you know marty's parents when are they going to kiss like you know he's literally fading out of time and then i also love how in this movie because there's a lot of pop culture just kind of fit into this film and i think like because again the movie was made in 1985 so there's reasonably gonna be like 1985 you know technology and culture references but i think that robert zemeckis like really amped it up knowing that in the future when we look back on this we could you know see into what people in 1985 were doing and also what people in 1985 thought of people in 1955. I always thought that that was a really good aspect of the film. Uh, the one thing that I will agree with is um, the guy who played uh, Marty McFly's dad. And I, I, of course I forget his name. And my dad's going to listen to this. And my dad's going to end up texting me exactly what his name is. And I'm going to hate myself for it. Um, but... He ended up, like, because he's not in the second film whenever Marty goes into the future. That's not him. They used uh, they used a body double and, like, superimposed his face. Um, but he had a problem with the ending of the movie because of the original film. Because in the original film, to him, the the reward is, you know, money and wealth and getting all the things that you want, all the materialistic things that you want out of life. Whereas he believed that the greater reward would have been family 
and being together and having those values you know set higher than materialistic possessions that marty shouldn't have even been striving for in the first place so because he had that little quarrel with robert as soon as the film was the first film was done he he was not offered his role back um and, and i kind of agree with him on that i mean it doesn't de- it doesn't distract away for the movie for me but i can definitely understand with his his perspective on that um in the second movie marty goes into the future and one thing that always kind of caught for me on that movie was that in the first movie whenever doc is like explaining why they have the time machine um or like we know that it's a it's whenever he's going into the future um he says that he's going 25 years into the future and he mentions that he'll be able to see the next 25 world series so for me when you hear that that implies that well i want to know who wins the next 25 world series so i can play some bets on it and kind of secure my you know my finances in the future um but in the second film marty literally goes to make that happen he gets inspired by the guy who's you know trying to collect money to save the clock tower and is you know told like you know he wished that he could go back in time and you know put money on the cubs winning the world series and then he goes and gets the all you know the sports almanac and then doc turns around and says i did not create the time machine for recreational gambling but it seemed like it, it, it kind of seemed like you did at least you mentioned it the last time we went on these adventures but that movie is just a lot of fun because again it just really gives you a glimpse into what people thought they were going to be seeing in the year 2015 which we're already past and we don't see a lot of the things that are on there um hoverboards are a thing but not in the aspect of what they are in the film um i mean we do have self-lacing shoes like you know again nike did make those uh you can buy the hats that uh marty jr is wearing um but i remember even asking my dad like you know whenever you were a kid like what did you think like by the year 2000 what did you think that you'd be seeing and he said like we legitimately thought like it was gonna be like the jetsons that we would have flying cars and you know that that was legitimately their perception of what things were gonna be fortunately in some aspects things didn't turn out the way that we thought i think flying cars would be a pretty terrible idea um but with that being said I think they were doing a really good job at continuing that underlying plot push, which was to show audience members, you know, how people in 1985 thought of 2015. And the third movie, it, again, it's, it, it is the weakling in the chain, but it's still a great movie for me. Uh, they go back in time to 1885 and man watching that movie you start to really appreciate all the things that you have because i mean shit doc has to make this entire you know machine that takes up almost an entire barn just to make one cube of ice i mean it's pretty easy now so while this movie if if i remember correctly this movie just had to be made because of contractual reasons and from what i also understand uh michael j fox was you know already experiencing 
you know, some issues with Parkinson's. Um, so this particular movie for me is just more of a comfort movie because again, I remember watching it with my dad and it's well-written. Christopher Lloyd is pretty much the, the main center focus of this movie. Um, and not Marty at all. And that's the aspect of it that I like because, you know, that's it's really more all about Marty's journey getting back home, but we don't really take time to see like what Doc really wants out of life. And what Doc really wants is a woman who can understand him and a woman who gets his references. And if he has a conversation with her, she can keep up and pushes him to be smarter and to experience new things. Um, I, I just think it was pretty clear that this movie was just more about taking a step back and putting some context and fleshing out who doc is as a character and so i thought it was really nice like the way that they brought it home marty goes back into the future the delorean gets destroyed by a train but of course doc had to make another time machine but now it's also a, a steam train uh he has two kids jules and Vern. uh and it was a really nice wrap-up, and I really enjoyed it. And those are my Favy Faves Trilogy Edition. Thank you so much for listening to me babble on about the movies that I love. Now, if you would like to let me know about at least your all-time favorite trilogy, or if you want to send me your top five as well, again, you can email me at unrealtalkshow at gmail.com, or you can follow our Twitter page at unrealt. Follow the Jedger for all Oops All Topics content and release information. Now, with today's advice for this episode, I'm going to play a clip for us that will take us out of the episode. But before I do that, I just wanted to say thank you guys for listening to Unreal Talk Show. Music is produced by Christian Bettingfield. Again, remember to follow the Jedger for all Oops All Topics Network content. Every year, and be sure to listen to Oops All Topics with Jason Edgar. It is a variety show that's about an hour long. It's strong and shiny, well worth the time. He is a great host, a great person to listen to. Smoking crack is follow bad. us at so Unreal Tea for the Unreal Talk Show hand, Twitter page. Remember, if you love your and teeth, as always here at Oops All Topics Network, we are reminding you to lose your fears and find your voice. Later.